Welcome to the Into Security Chats podcast, brought to you by Info Security Magazine, the leading industry magazine and website, and presented by me, Info Security Editorial Director, Eleanor Dalloway. This is the Into Security spin-off podcast that allows me to indulge in deeper meaningfuls with the industry's finest minds. So I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Claudiana Tanson, a lady that I had the pleasure of meeting an entire decade ago <laughs> in the very swish offices of drinks company Diageo, where at the time Claudia was CISO. Strangely, it feels like it was only about a year or so ago. Um, and I was saying to Claudia a minute ago that it feels a little bit poetic that uh, 10 years have passed. I think undoubtedly I was a lot more fresh-faced and bushy-tailed back then. Um, But Claudia, I'm delighted to be chatting to you once again. So thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Ellen, and thanks for having me. Yes, it is really surreal, but I know I'm going to enjoy it just as I did 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hope there's a lot to live up to. Um, So just as an introduction to Claudia, uh, Claudia Natanson started her early career as a nuclear scientist. And to date, she's spent over two decades working in the field of information security. As Chief Security Officer, CISO, Cybersecurity Consultant, she's developed and implemented security transformation programs globally for FTSE 100, Fortune 500 companies and government. And as a registered European Commission security and cybersecurity expert, Claudia has worked across many technical areas and European projects in the areas of electrical identities, cloud, digital agile development environments, mobile application security, biometrics and SCADA systems. Yes, that is as impressive as it sounds, I think. Um, She's qualified at master's and PhD levels and a British computing fellow and a recognized industry security speaker and information and cybersecurity researcher. And today, Claudia joins us as chair of the UK Cybersecurity Council. Um, So firstly, Claudia, the UK Cybersecurity Council has been a long time in the making. Um, It was commissioned by the UK government, believe three years ago. Um, So what's been happening behind the scenes over the last three years? Can you talk us through that journey? And um, also, when did you become a part of it? Oh, yeah, sure, Eleanor. So I think let's start at the very beginning. I think in December 2018, the government did make that announcement that it was going to form the Cybersecurity Council. And that was on the back of the release of the government's cybersecurity strategy, skills capability strategy. And in that strategy, during the whole feedback that they had that formed a part of the collation of that report, it became very evident the need for the council, the need to have this independent and sole voice for the profession. So that was in in, um, December 2018. Then in September 2019, DCMS, which is the Department for Culture, Media and Sports, was given the mandate to set the formation council up. So the whole project that would see the formation of the council. And they also awarded the the tender that went out to the Institute of Engineering and Technology, IET, and they oversaw the whole project formation. So that was um, in September of 2019. The project, which is the Alliance members, and the project then went on to be able to do all of that work. A number, phenomenal amount of work was done in that period in the formation, setting up what the council, 
they wanted to have all of the infrastructure that the council would need. And it was always mandated that they would hand over that work to us at the end of March. So March 31st, the beginning of April the 1st, would the council would get the council take possession of the work that had happened. And that's what we did. Now, you asked about my involvement, and if I go back a little bit in time, from October, I think we, the first founding members, founding trustee members were brought on in 2020. So that in October 2020, before we had the council in April 2021, the founding trustee members, three of them, um, and myself as chair came into being to start the whole project, working alongside the formation um, project to make sure that that transi transitioning over to us would be as seamless and smooth as possible. So a lot went on behind the scenes. And I think what was very important and what was impressive is that we managed to keep to date and the handover to the council for us from the project at the end of March and we started in April. So a long journey, momentous and historical at the same time. Yeah, of course. And <laughs> amongst that, that long journey, of course, there was that really small thing called a huge pandemic. Ah, yes, wasn't that it? Hit. How <laughs> did uh, COVID-19 affect the timelines, if at all, or, or change the course of the council? No, it, for us, the, I think the only thing that it, it would have changed for us would be more about the, the physical side of us being being able to get together to do a lot of things, you know. And when you're trying to set things up, being able to brainstorm, sit together, do a lot of talking and so. So I, I don't think it, it affected the actual timetable of the, the council at all, but it certainly did in terms of what we were able to do physically together. And one of the things that was part of the council was actually having a physical address and physical location for the council, which we haven't had to date because of COVID. And what attracted you to the role, Claudia? I mean, you've got an incredibly varied and impressive CV and a huge Thank amount you. of experience. So what made you choose this as your, as your next vacation? Well, I think it's it's no secret in, in the whole profession about my whole passion and love um, for what I do. I think it's anyone who knows me knows about the, the passion that I have for it. And, and because, as you know, I'm always thinking ahead, thinking ahead. I even remembered at the time when we spoke, you were asking me what did I think was coming. And I was just saying social media was going to explode and data was going to explode and all these things were going to be exposed. And, and it's true. It, it is a profession that is exciting in a way because you're always trying to secure a moving target. It's never the same, the same day, never the same, the same hour. So the the love of the profession i think is is the first thing the second thing is that i've always mentored i've always done things always wanted to give back always wanting to do different things in the profession and i think even with the formation of the corporate executive program where geographically i would in asia bring together practitioners get to the c levels so that we could talk collaborate understand how best to affect the practice better is, is one of the drivers and we would take that um, to New York, we take that to London. So the opportunity to continue to drive the profession, to make it meaningful, effective, is, is one of the things. And I think if you put that against the backdrop of the fact that cyber is such a 
big agenda item now for organizations at the boardroom and right throughout and for individuals themselves, something that countries are now wanting to focus on in a meaningful way as they make our own countries resilient. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a no-brainer no for me to be wanting to be involved in something like that. Yeah, and I do remember if I have to if I remember one thing from our big interview ten years ago it is that passion that you talk about. I really <laughs> remember that when I think of you. Um, uh, uh, when you talk about the how you said that social media was going to explode, that makes me feel so old. <laughs> but you weren't wrong, that's for sure. Um, as you know, there's an absolute plethora of industry bodies and associations already out there um, in the information security space and cyber. What makes the UK Cyber Council special or, or different? Oh, for real, um, there are so many things that makes us special. Let's start with the vision, the vision that the country has for cyber security. And that's the vision that's shared with the National Cyber Security Center, NCSC, who are the technical arm for cyber security for the country. They are the ones who make sure that there are the defenses that were really resilient in terms of the technical ability to do so. The other half of that cyber security focus for the, for the government, and because both the NCSC and the council will share the same vision. And what is that vision? That vision is about making the UK one of the safest places to work and do business online. Our missions differ, NCSC and, and, and the council, in that, as I said, they are the technical arm, they are doing the resilience and the protecting in terms of that. But the, the remit for the council is equally important to be able to bring that whole vision together. And what is that? Our mission is about making sure that we are a self-regulatory body, the voice of the profession, I mean, we are an umbrella body for the um, existing professional organizations that are there. And, and the whole thing about it is that we are the face for professionals, not only those that are existing and doing the profession at the moment, but of course, being able to promote and provide stewardships and standards, influencing academia and government to make sure that we are attracting a whole plethora of people to the profession. And that includes that whole area of diversity, inclusion and equality. And I'm not just talking about that at a personal level, but organizational level, because cybercrime is no respecter of size or sector. So that kind of collaboration, that sort of inclusivity, that sort of diversity, we want to maintain that throughout everything. So that's not a mandate that any ordinary body would have. And that's what makes it very special for the council. I think how you've just described the mission of the council is so aligned with my own personal passions, I think, and interests <laughs> around the in industry as well. So I just I think it sounds amazing. But how close is that relationship between the NCSC and the council in terms of, you know, everyday life? It, it, how how often are you talking to each other and how intertwined are your missions? Oh, to begin with, anyway, the NCSC and, and the council, it's a, it's a natural fit and there are a number of things that NCSC already does that, you know, provides that segue of conversation into the council. If you think about it, um, they have a whole area that they have done and have started on specialisms and on things that they are doing in the schools in promoting cybersecurity. 
And together we have started to look on that and look on how we will work together in terms of, of not just making sure that we promote that. But you remember our mandate is about bringing that excellence, bringing the levels, the standards, the benchmarks that we need for the profession. It's about now applying those things. So already we spend an enormous amount of time talking through how that will look. Because as I said, at the end of the day, we are sharing the same vision, you see. And, and it's very, very important for us to want to be able together to see that we achieve. We, we really, at the heart of everything, we want to make the UK really be that showpiece in how it's done. Because at the end of the day, Eleanor, there is no manual. There is no book that is going to tell us how to do this because it's not being done anywhere else. And we're quite proud of that as well. So that conversation between the NCSC and us is very important. It's natural, it's being done. And that collaboration is not only going to end with the NCSC, it's going to continue right across that whole cybersecurity spectrum um, for collaboration. If we are to succeed, collaboration is, has to be done. It will be so important. And there's a real challenge there, but there's also a huge opportunity and the ability to sort of forge your own path mm-hmm. um, and th- this mission, which is so worthwhile. There's so much opportunity there. So I'm not surprised that this is something you wanted to jump on board with. I know that one of the things that the UK Cybersecurity Council has been tasked with is addressing key education and skills challenges faced by the industry, and you did touch on that earlier. What do you personally think um, are the greatest challenges in those spaces at the moment? Well, if it, why I like that question, Eleanor, is just because sometimes it makes me reflect on my own journey, really. And I've started to have this conversation with some of the cybersecurity bodies as well. And let me see if I can tease little things out that are important to me and then important, I hope, on on the wider scale of things. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you need to do with anything, any profession, anything that you want to do is start early. I don't care whether it's sports, it's, it's, it's in academia or anything. The earlier you start, the better it is. Because I think that when you start things earlier, you know, the human mind isn't um they're still fearless they're not, you, you haven't learned about a lot of barriers and it's the same thing when you learn to swim and all of those things if you <laughs> learn to swim later you, you you feel that you can drown so you know you're hesitant about things like that so one of the first things is that we want to make sure that it's it started right at reception class that's where i think l- listen the children of today are born ready born ready if you want to really, really embarrass yourself, give a remote to a child that's just born, (laughs) okay? And then you can just silently, just have a breathe, move, because you will be totally embarrassed. So (laughs) they are totally ready. I had um, some five-year-old having a conversation with me the other day, trying to say, no, 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 that's a gift file. I said, excuse me? (laughs) No, 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 it, 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 it needs to be a JPEG. (laughs) <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, holding a phone because someone had sent one of these little um, gift things as a birthday thing. So if you are any, in any doubt or, at all about their ability to absorb, to understand. And when I was doing my PhD and I spent time in the schools because I wanted to understand that, 
I, I found that the, the greatest barriers were the teachers, not because they were a barrier as a teacher, but because they were getting to grips with something that was natural to the children that they were already teaching. So I spent more time um, doing awareness and training with them. And um, teachers have this lovely way of being able then to go back into classroom and kind of bring it all together. So it's just different ways in which you, you will teach that. But the challenges that you, you talk about is one, let's get it into the, the schools, let's get it in early. The second thing is, let's make it available to everyone. So this is where the equality part comes, comes about. And I'm really, really, you know, very concerned that I want to make sure that everyone gets the, the education, gets the, the type of education they need to be able to get their arms around things such as cyber security or information security training at, at any level. So that's another challenge for me, making sure that it is available. Because if you don't have equality, you won't have inclusivity and you won't have diversity. You have to have that equality first. So that's the, the, the first challenge that we have. The other challenge is, is making sure, and that's what the government is tasking us with, so that we are benchmarking, making sure that we have the right standards, the right level of standards to promote the excellence that we need for the profession. And so again, us being involved in driving that and making sure the curriculums are, are right. And I think this is probably a good way to um, mention about CYBOC, which is a cybersecurity body of knowledge that was done by the um, Bristol University in association with NCSC, NCSC asks the University of Bristol. Bristol University to be involved in creating a body of knowledge. So together, and um, the specialisms that have been developed, again, amongst the Alliance members, as I said to you, it's a collaborative effort. But we need to create and make sure we have all the things needed to make sure that we have a profession that everyone can achieve. But the final thing that I, I would say is that I'm still very, a little bit um, concerned that the word cybersecurity is one that can turn people off because they're saying, oh, that sounds very techy, I'm not sure that I'm in, in, into it. And we need to break it down a little bit by being able to show them, you know, what's inside the cake. It's the same ingredients that you probably have, but you think you don't have. See, that's the cake. Come on, let's eat it, let's enjoy it. <laughs> it's really interesting that you've just picked up on that because I was going, that was actually what I was going to ask you next. I think when we met last time, 10 years ago, it was information security is what we all called our yeah. discipline and our industry. And I think over time, the, the word cyber has replaced that info information. And now even, of course, the council itself has been named UK Cyber and obviously NCSC. Do you... Do you still think there is a place for information security? Well, firstly, do you think they are the same thing? Um, yeah, yeah, let me just ask you that. Do you think they're the same discipline? Brilliant question. And I can see that uh, maybe other professionals who would be listening to something like this would be, you know, really pleased to hear the answer that is about to be given. I tell you what, if you are a professional, a security professional, you cannot execute cyber unless you execute the other elements of it. So let me just do for one second a masterclass of what we do as security professionals. Yeah, there, there are five pillars that we operate across. The first pillar is information. 
So that's all the information, the data, the data that you gather, the data that you put together to form information. That's the first pillar. The second thing is that that information needs to run over networks or they need to be stored on systems, whatever it is, processed on systems. So there you have the second pillar. So that's IT, that IT stack that we like to talk about. Then we come to the third thing is, a lot of times we want to do things online. We want to, to exchange information online. And that's where the internet came in and that's where the cyber starts because now we're moving things out of the organization and we are corresponding, we're changing, we're exchanging things outside on the internet. And that's where the cyber security pillar sits. Then you move on and then you have the personal security. Personal is all about the people. People are the first first line of defense to security because as if, if you read the information commissioner officers report, the, the highest and the main source of security breaches and not just in the UK globally is human error and process and policy failure. That's all down to us. So the personal side is also important as also there's personal protection if you are doing a CSO job and have to do physical side of it. And then of course there's a physical, the location, the buildings. And again, that is a first um, defense into your assets. So when you, if, if all of that is not working together, cyber doesn't work either. It doesn't. But the, here's the thing. Because we have been so pummeled, because, you know, <laughs> security, the vulnerabilities, the weaknesses and things that we do have been brought out. And because there is the monetary, when we think about crime, we think, what is the motive? You have to have a motive. And the motive for cyber has totally been about financials. We wouldn't have ransomware being so, uh, I mean, the, just the rate and the levels of it is driven by financial gain and by the fact that cryptocurrency has increased so much in value. So I can see that cyber is in the bright lights and will remain in the bright lights for a long time. But if you're a cyber, if you're a security professional, you will know that the only way to infect resilient cyber is to make sure it's encased on either side by those other pillars. What a brilliant and thorough answer. I genuinely feel like I've really learned something. Um, and it's a question that I've asked many people before, actually, but nobody's given quite as good an answer as that. So thank you very much for that. Oh, thank you. Um, obviously, I touched in your introduction about the fact that you started early on in your career as a nuclear scientist, and then mm -hmm. later you spent quite a lot of time in the, in the private sector. I'm just wondering how your experiences in the public sector in the private sector and also in as a nuclear scientist impact your subsequent cybersecurity roles and maybe changes or shapes the way that you approach your public sector role today mm. a question and a half Ellen I wouldn't expect anything <laughs> else from you wouldn't I <laughs> <laughs> I just love speaking to you you think <laughs> all right let, let, let me break that down a bit nuclear okay being a nuclear chemist, if you're in a nuclear laboratory, it's it's precision, uh, without a doubt. I mean, any laboratory work, uh, any sort of thing like that is 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 precision. Science is, is precise. But in the nuclear lab, and it was the atomic spectroscopic laboratory, we're even much more precise in terms of detail and what solutions and we come out with. And you tend to want to to make sure you carry that thing as a scientist about the integrity of data 
whatever it is that it is telling you. And I am absolutely amazed about the love-hate relationship that we in the world have with science. And I'll tell you why. Science tells us a lot out of the data about what it is that we have asked it. So it says, okay, we've done all this research, tell us, or we've done all these numbers and we've crunched all these numbers. This is the result. But many times we don't like the results, so we ignore it. <laughs> so, and you know, you know, when they come with this thing blind and with science, I think that, that must be it because we ask for it, then it gives us the answer. And we say, no, that's not the answer we wanted. Uh, I'm not ever even going to look on that answer. I'm just going to do something else. But the thing is that if you're a scientist, there is no, I'm not going to do it. That is it. Yes, get on with it and now do what it tells you that you need to do. And I think when you, um, especially when you're in cyber and you have so many endpoints and you're getting back so much information and you're getting it back in real, real time, that's what we call dynamic analysis, it's real time. It's not predictive, it's not based off of any other numbers that you had crunched before. You have to make decisions real time. And do you know that is exactly what has happened to businesses and organizations from the pandemic. Because the pandemic taught us about being very precise and being able to have to trust the data that you had because the data that you had yesterday for your business is no longer there because there's no one buying that. There's the way that people are shopping, the way that people are working have changed. So you take that data and pivot your business. And that's the same thing that we do in cyber. So, you know, when, when, when you talk about the things that you bring to the table from science, there's a lot to teach us um, from science. And we had to do that in terms of the decisions that people were taking on lockdown, vaccinating, you know, how we collaborated to make new vaccines. So there's a lot from science. And I took that um, right into the, the, the way that I've worked and, and in terms of the decisions that I'm fearless about making decisions. But I tell you, one of the things that helps to do that as well is the ability to take decisions and to take accountability. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I feel that's missing a lot in organizations because we don't create safe havens for people to take accountability. And it's amazing if you go through organizations, you have endless hundreds of people being responsible for things, but so few being accountable for things. And I think that's one of the things that we need to do, create much more safe havens for people to feel comfortable. Because one of the missions for the council is integrity, ethics, to, to support and gender ethics and gender integrity and the highest levels of behaviors. And I think that that's not just for the profession, that will be for organizations as well. That's really interesting what you say about the, the safe havens, actually. So do you believe that that's something that as an industry, um, we're responsible for doing to, to create that cultural change where people do feel that they have those safe havens. Oh, absolutely. That's what I've been doing uh, all my practice and even in my time in government. Um, you know, folks know I'm big on that. I'm big, uh, there are lots of things that I was big on, yeah. um, you know, when I went into government. But safe havens was one of them because that's one of the things that I, I wanted to to see in government. They, 
the taking of decisions um, and being able to take those decisions, even if you felt they were uncomfortable decisions. But they were decisions that weren't taken off a of whims. They were taken off again from a, if you want, for want of a scientific word. They, mm. There was evidence. There was reason to take those decisions. But even whether inside government or in private sector, I still see today that if you don't have that safe haven, you don't have that support, people are afraid to discharge ethically and with integrity their profession. Because you remember I said to you, even if you blind them with science, they don't like what science is saying to you. And so for some people, they fear that it could be repercussions. How many times have you read in security breach reports where it says that an organization was told about that vulnerability that was exploited three years ago, 10 years ago? So I addressed my case on that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to um, sort of go down a slightly more personal route now. Um, mm -hmm. in, in 2011, I asked if you had any regrets and I remember you said to me that you regretted that you didn't have time to do more and I think you gave being in the army as an example. Um, mm. Do you still feel like that? Do you still have this regret of lost time? Yeah, because they still won't take me in the army now, will they? So, yeah. um... <laughs> <laughs> despite, despite writing letters <laughs> and asking for favours from folks, <laughs> it doesn't work, does it, Eleanor? I, mean, I don't know. I can't even say, do you know who I am? Yeah, you still not <laughs> the right material that we're looking for. But, you know, I've gotten over that, you know, and, and you know, I'm not one to take myself seriously anyway. So no doesn't mean anything. It just means, OK, not now. But um, one of the things that I still want to do, for example, is I still want to write children's books, um, funnily enough. And I'm not taking it off of my wish list. And so, yes, there are still things. I mean, I found a way to to release that energy and stress on anger from it all. I, I mean, I bought myself a, a tennis ball machine, an automatic one, mm -hmm. and, and I've just been pounding balls and I'm saying, man against machine, who's going to win? Well, machine wins, <laughs> but there you go, the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you and me both when it comes to writing children's books. I can't think of anything better than that. Yeah, I love that. I would love to do that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, Back then, I remember, and this is this is incredible now, um, with the irony that I'm speaking to you exactly 10 years later, but I asked you what you wanted to be doing in a decade's time. And you said to me, still doing something that I'm passionate about, but coming at it from a different angle and enjoying the Jamaican sun. Now, lack of Jamaican sun aside, <laughs> it's miserable here in the UK today. Yeah. Are you yeah. where you thought you'd be, Claudia? Like, metaphorically, of course, not literally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for real. I mean, that that that's a, that question was so timely, so so well poised, wasn't it? And I think I am where I am, um, where I would want to be, because one of the things that I would have always wanted to be was to be giving back to the profession. Um, I'll give back to the profession. I'll be, you know, passionate about the the profession until to the day that I take my last breath. But to be able to do that for one, ten, fifty, hundreds of people it was maybe my maximum ideal that I would continue to help in this way. But to be given the platform in which I can do that for the entire profession and at the same time be able to help 
our country move that forward on their agenda is huge. It is it's 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 more than I would have dreamt of for and you know, helping to make that difference. I'm humbled, I'm honored, you know, that I'm being able to do this for the profession. So yes, I'm where I would want to be and my dream has taken me beyond that. But I just feel so blessed, privileged to be able to do that on many, many counts. And it's not just about the profession, it's also, again, in terms of gender, because along the road, it has been a very lonely road in terms of having gender. Um, you know, the genders being part of cybersecurity. It is a brutal one, 24 by 7, without a doubt. But we now know need to be able to make adjustments. Adjustments can be made to make sure that we do that and then, of course, make sure that we have the inclusivity and diversity that we, we want in it. So, huge opportunity that I am still very, very thankful for and as a voice of the profession, I will use that voice to hope that I can make better for the profession, for professionals, and of course for the country to be able to do that. Nothing would, would make me more proud because we are setting an example for the rest of the world, and I intend to make it an example that is worth looking at. And I, I truly believe that the um, the UK Cyber Council should be grateful to have you um, on, you. on board as well. I, I really do mean that. Um, I'm just going to move into the final part of the podcast, which is where I ask you a couple of sort of quick fire personal questions. Um, mm -hmm. And the first one, um, my Desert Island question, is inspired by one of my favourite podcasts. Um, and that's to say, if you were stranded on a desert island for a year on your own, and you could only take one book, one song and one luxury item, what would it be? Oh, what book and what luxury item? One oh. book, one song and one luxury item. Any song that you can just sing on a desert island. I'm from an island anyway, and I find that the best island songs are usually sung by Bob Marley. Mm -hmm. Bob Marley. He has a song for every occasion, and then most of those occasions will suit you stranded. Um, you, even even one quick song comes to mind, you know, don't you worry about a thing, <laughs> everything's going to be all right. So just sing that one song every day, everything's going to be all right. And you will you will think that some, somebody is coming to rescue you. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> Eventually, you know, or, or he has another one, sun is shining. So, I mean, there you go. I mean, he you, you won't run out of songs from Bob Marley, so that's, that's right. Um, book, though. Um, Hmm, what book? You know, I I thoroughly enjoyed um, Mandela's Along With Whom. I really did. It, it's inspiring. So if you're stranded, um, I think it's one of those books that can, can give you hope. You really want a book that can give you hope. One that shows about humility, but the same persistence, builds strong character. Um, all of those things you need to, to be rescued if you wanted to be rescued. To be honest, if I was stranded on a desert island, I don't want to be rescued. But anyway, there you go. Um, what was the other one? <laughs> <laughs> An excellent choice for your book. Um, luxury item. Luxury item. Um, well, luxury item, uh, nothing that is going to give you a facial is going to be good anyway, isn't it? So if you're, if, for me personally, again, coming from the islands, um, any luxury island item would be something like a coconut because it's you can do a lot of things with it. You can drink the water, then you can split it. 
then you can use it to, to sweep around, then you can do a lot of things. Then you can eat the white part in there and chew on it. So coconut, and, and guess what? Coconut has become very fashionable in the health industry for people coming from the islands. We never thought of it that way, but it's... <laughs> Absolutely. Delicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's my three. <laughs> okay, and, and speaking of desert islands, um, what would you consider your favourite place in the whole world? <laughs> Just at home, yeah. lying horizontally. Doing nothing, hearing nothing. <laughs> I mean, uh, I remember the secretary at DWP used to say to me, "Ah, oh, right, it's time to go to your mausoleum." <laughs> it's, you know, you just you just have so many things coming at you. I remember um, in DWP, for example, we had 22 million pieces of information. I have everybody's when they were born. You know everything, everything about it, and we know that the hackers are just shaking the things. And I had 770 buildings under my remit as well. And I used to just lie. I just used to say, Phew. so it sounds strange. And having travelled so much of the world, I think under my remit over the years across so many sectors and industries, with you know hundreds of countries under my remit, it's very hard to say which country. Is the, is the most beautiful because you soon realize that each country has its own unique beauty. I, 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 can't, I don't know how people could say this is the most beautiful place because there's so much beauty in each country. It's, a, it's, it's uh, amazing. So I still think that the best place for me, I don't want to hear a sound. I just want to lie horizontally. <laughs> that to me is <laughs> that sounds amazing. Um, two more questions. Um, what's your, what do you consider your greatest inspiration? Uh, um, the greatest inspiration that I would think. Well, first of all, <laughs> I always in my great what or who depends. I, I wrote it as in what, but I, I'm happy for you to trade it to a who if you'd prefer. <laughs> but it's true, you see. Um, it's true because I think I grew up with my grandfather and to date he has to be the greatest inspiration on me. I, I probably never made it to the kind of mathematician that he was. But, uh, but you know, he used to say it to me, and because we grew up out of colonialism and everything and where education at one point was, you know, it's, it wasn't a right, it was a privilege. But he used to say to me that education is, is your greatest weapon. And I used to be looking at him, it's a weapon, okay. Um, he says, listen, it's the one weapon that is yours. And when it's yours, no one can take it from you. But you need to use it wisely. Right. Mm -hmm. And over the years, you have realized the depth of that kind of advice that you, it, it gives you. And then if you talk about the what inspires me, I also move on to other people and the what. And Olympians inspire me, Eleanor. Mm -hmm. And when I see the Olympics and what, what that stands for, I'm sorry. That's my inspiration right there. Because you have people for four years, Ellen, they go out there by themselves. They're training in rain, sleet, slow. And you don't know 
they don't know and it's all for maybe a few seconds or a few whatever is the length of whatever that race or that thing that they are part of and you you're amazed you know why when even if they get a bronze medal um they will say that you know this is more than they were hoping for and even for those who don't make the podium as well they they can tell you that they're pleased with the times that they run the, and that's the motivation or they they're pleased for this or whatever it is they find that connector to go back out and do it all again so i am in the the, the what for me is the what the olympics is and what it stands for and how it's it, it, it is a symbol of how people are mentally tough you train yourself to be mentally tough and the inspiration is of those around you and of those who you probably don't know but who you can look on as I said on the Campanella and the long road and you look at yourself and you teach yourself patience humility you teach yourself about honesty and ethics and integrity and the importance of it you can build yourself into a good character by the who and the what i think if you if you take them and have time to reflect fantastic answer um so finally Claudia my last question is inspired by your Diageo days what's mm. your favorite go-to drink mm. Eleanor this could get me in trouble I don't I don't know <laughs> I mean are you crazy <laughs> yeah I know the CEO but Diageo very well he's I mean he I mean the one that was there when I was there and the one that is there now at the moment we spent hours together I can't say that are you are you crazy I can't say what my favorite drink is I know what it is but uh, <laughs> you have to I mean I think coconut water huh You'll have to say coconut water. Coconut water with something in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds delicious. <laughs> something in there that makes you even happier. That he has yourselves. <laughs> uh, I absolutely love it. Um, okay, Claudia, um, I think we are well and truly out of time, but um, uh, you're wonderful. I find you truly infectious. Um, oh, I can't believe it's been Claudia. 10 years since we've spoken. Is, so I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping we can catch up way more frequently because yeah. I so enjoy talking to you. Yeah, and so do I. So thanks again for, for having me and, and for doing the catch up. I mean, I think together, you know, honestly, we really do know how to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I I wish you all the luck with your new Thank mission you. I genuinely can't think of anyone else I'd trust more with leading the UK Cyber Council and this very important mission yeah. so best of luck to you and keep up keep Thank in you. touch Thank you so much, Anna. Thank you on behalf of the council. Thank you also for giving us the opportunity to share what we're doing with everyone. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Into Security Chats. I've been Eleanor Dalloway, and it has been a pleasure to have you listening in. Join the conversation next month as I get to know my next guest. Bye.